0: So here we are, Acts 28, and um, this is the last chapter in this book, and this is really the last time we're going to be in Acts, at least this year. Um, And so (laughs) we might show up there next year. I don't know. Um, So what we have seen over the last few chapters, really, is Paul was accused of some stuff that he wasn't guilty of, right? He was accused of like, causing all types of riots and these things. And he's like, yo, man, I'm just preaching the gospel. I don't know what you guys are talking about. But the Jews, they were really upset because what happens is uh, he was, he was, there was, like, the Holy Spirit was doing his thing. People, the kingdom of God was growing. And uh, the Jews didn't like that because Paul's here, Paul's saying to them that, hey, this guy, Jesus, he's the fulfillment of the things that you guys believe is still to come. And so they didn't like it because they didn't like Jesus. They're the ones that crucified him or had him crucified. And so, you know, they took him before uh, the Romans, and they wanted to have him killed. But Paul, because he is Paul and his integrity is second to none, uh, man, he just stood firm in the, in the truth of the gospel. But not only that, but he just, he, he just did everything that everybody asked of him. And um, what he demonstrates, really, is just his faithfulness to God's mission. And the reason it's so clear is because... Like, being faithful to God's mission isn't just preaching the gospel, right? It's also demonstrating character when people are, like, accusing you of things that you're not guilty of. It's your willingness to stand there and be like, hey, I'm going to stand on truth. I'm not going to get angry or out of control. I'm going to continue to love the people who are persecuting me, and I'm going to continue to do this. And Paul was super, super faithful to what God had called him to. And so, my main idea, really, for today is really simple, and it's, uh, it's pretty short. It's this. The church is called to be faithful to the mission of God. The church is called to be faithful to the mission of God. So, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Verse 28. I'm sorry. Chapter 28, verse 1 says this. After we were brought through safely. So, here's what's happening. Uh, Paul, right before, in chapter 27, there was this huge shipwreck. What actually what was happening? This is actually kind of cool. Is Paul's on on this big boat, and he's telling them, "Hey guys, here's what's going to happen. We're in this crazy storm. This thing's going to go under. That's what's going to happen." But it's cool. Why? Because God told me everyone's going to be safe. Don't sweat it. And what do they do? You guys are just like high schoolers. That's awesome. You guys respond. Awesome. So, um, so what happens is they they trip out. They're like, whoa, not cool. They're freaking out. And what does Paul do? He just stays, like, like he's just steadfast, trusting in what God does. And so what happens is the ship essentially sinks, right? They get on their little boat. They see land. And then this is where we're at. They see this land and they start sending people forward. Now, remember the company Paul has on the ship, right? He is uh, currently a prisoner. He is with uh, the Romans who have uh, guards and stuff because they're taking him to Rome to stand before Caesar because he was accused of things that he didn't do so that is where we are verse uh, one after we were brought safely through uh, we learned that the island was called Malta the native people showed us unusual kindness for the uh, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all so here's what's going on I just want to make this clear the reason these people are being so nice is because Malta's not uh, they, they are very familiar with the Romans, right? And during this time period, the Romans were like the United States, right? They were just, man, they had the best military. Like nobody was going to mess with them. And so they had a reputation, right? And so they were very kind to them. Uh, they, they, they were familiar with these soldiers. They, so they welcomed them. And it says this, Because it had begun in rain and and was cold, verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, listen, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Verse 5, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. So here's what's important for us to see because A lot of times, I think, especially in the 21st century, we read stuff like this, and we think, well, of course Paul's not a god, like he's just a person, right? But I want you to see what's actually happening in the passage, because these native people, they have a worldview. There's a lens in which they see all things through, okay? Their worldview is through the lens of justice, this goddess, this goddess on their island. I'm going to kick this over if I don't move that. This goddess on their island. This is the way they, they see the world. And so what happens is Paul gets bit by the snake and they're like, why is this guy not dying? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why is he not dying? And so what happens is what, ha- what they experience with Paul and what they see with Paul, right, completely blows up their worldview and doesn't make any sense. So what do they do? They have to change their worldview. And they have to literally take from another worldview and go, that guy must be a god. He must be a god because he didn't die from the snake bite. And that's what they're doing. They're shifting their worldview because they have to because it doesn't make sense. And so here's here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to see through this is that these people are no different than the people of today. They're not. Because so many times today when you interact with people, they were borrowed from multiple different worldviews just to make sense of the things that they are experiencing. And, and the reason they do this is because in their minds, they have to categorize people. And the reason I want us to understand what we mean by this is because everybody does, I mean, for like, look at psychology. It's crazy. There's like over 300 mental illnesses. I'm not saying they're wrong. Those things are super helpful. But we're categorizing people all the time. And when you meet somebody, when you meet someone new, and you don't know them, as you start to talk to them, everything they say to you, how their body language is, you're constantly judging and putting them in these categories in your mind. And if you can't put them in a category in your mind, what do you do? You call them different or weird, right? You call them like they're just different or they're weird. What does that mean? It means I haven't figured this person out, right? But here's the truth. Like, the truth is this. Paul's just a person, and a lot of times we misunderstand one another in communication because we, we want to put people in categories in our mind. There's really, like, like, we all fall into one category. We're all broken people. Like, that's what happens. And here's the truth. From someone who loves categories and loves putting people there because it helps me understand all of you crazy people. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> like, like, I do this Often. And it's something that I've had to learn to be like, man, like, when I put somebody in a category, I lose compassion for them when they do certain things. Because I expect it. Like, well, that's because you're like this. You're dumb. It's not my fault. But that's wrong. That's sinful. Right? All people have value and worth. All people are made in the image of God. And we're all just broken people. So what happens <clears throat> Paul goes on, and it's important to see how Paul responds, because these people now have called him a God. So their worldview is blowing up. They shift worldviews. they like, man, this guy's a God, and if I were in his position, I'd be like, you're darn right I am. Go make me a turkey, right? Like, that's exactly how most of us would, te- would like, respond because we're Americans. Um, he goes on, verse 7. Now in the neighborhood, uh, right now in the neighborhood of that place, uh, were lands belonging to the chief of the island, named Pobulus, who received us and entertained us for three days, it happened uh, that the father of Populus lay sick with fever. <coughs> Sorry, uh, sick with fever, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had uh, taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on, uh, on board whatever we needed. And so here's what I want us to see because I think this is so important. Because in America, this is what the church does. We like to get our little holy huddle and hang out with people who think just like us always. And we don't want to engage with people who are different than us. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. We don't like it. And so Paul, instead of, and, and to be honest, like in today's world, like no atheist would look at you and be like, you're a God. Like that just wouldn't happen, right? But like this is their view of Paul. And Paul takes this opportunity to continue to serve and love the people of this island. That's what he does. He's like, hey, man, I love you guys. I care about you. You're people. You're made in the image of God. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue to do these things and help you and serve you. And they're different than him. They have a completely different worldview. This is an example. Paul's given us an example of how we should be interacting with people who are different than us. We should pursue them. We should love them. We should ask, how can we serve you and care for you? That's the things that we should be doing. And so, my point here is I want this. This is my point. It says this The church is called to love people right where they are. We are to have the same heart and desire as God that all people would come to repentance. And so, when Paul's interacting, with these people. He's not there because he's trying to, you know, make much of himself or or any of those things. What he's actually doing there is he's trying to win these people. And he's doing that through service, by recognizing who they are and loving them and seeing their need and fulfilling their need. That's what he's doing. And so when you go into your communities, when you go to work, when you go home for some of you, like how can you serve and love the people who have different beliefs than you? How can you reach them that way what are some needs that they have in their lives that you can build relationship with and serve and love them this is what we're called to do Paul is just a, an amazing example of what's happening here verse 11 and three months and three months we set sail in a ship uh, that had wintered in the island a ship of Alexandria with the t- uh, with the twin gods as its Figurehead. I'm going to skip down to verse 14. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, uh, when they had heard about us, came as far as the form of Appaeus and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So here's what's going on. Let me give a quick summary of what where we're at. So they they shipwreck. They get to this island. Paul's all right. Paul gets there. He serves. He loves them. He wrecks some worldviews because God it does a uh, miraculous thing with Paul. And then they sail away uh, on this ship. They get to Rome. And here is Paul now. There are some friends there that meet him. And he goes and he stays with them. But here's something I want us to see too. And this is just a quick highlight because we have to move on. Is this. Is that... Um, And when they came to Rome, this is the very last verse, 16, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Paul has also gained favor with the Romans, and how do we know that? Because he was allowed to stay by himself with just one soldier. If he didn't gain favor with them, they would have taken him to a prison. He would have been in a cell. So not only is Paul demonstrating good godly character, right, with the people on the island, but now he's, but throughout his time with the Romans, he's also demonstrated good godly character with them. He's like, hey, how can I serve and love you guys? And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you've heard Pastor Jeff talk about how he did those things. He stood fast, man. He was faithful to the mission of God. He was constantly trying to figure out ways to love and serve the people around him, even when they were different. Verse 17, in three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had, I had done nothing against our people or to the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem and into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set, uh, to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against, uh, bring against my nation. So here's the first thing I want you guys to see what Paul does. And this is godly character again, okay? Like, I'm not even lying. This dude is second to none. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. Why is that verse, that first little section right there in that verse important? Because Paul knows the accusations that are going to be made against him. He knows the confrontation that is coming. And he has no fear. None. He has no fear. Why? Because he's been faithful to what God has called him to do. He's been honest. Right? He's served. He's loved people. He's not going to shy away from the fact that he's like, yo, like I believe in Jesus. He's not going to shy away from that. But Paul is confrontational. He's absolutely confrontational. The whole reason he went to Rome was so that way he can appeal to Caesar. And the first thing he did when he gets there, he's like, yo, I need to gather the religious leaders together because we need to have a conversation. I want to tell you guys what has been happening. Paul has no fear. And he shouldn't. He shouldn't. Paul knows that Jesus is enough. Paul also knows that Jesus is all he ever has. Because at the end of the day, here's, here, your house will go away, your cars will die, your wife will leave at some point, whether she divorces you because you're a terrible husband, I'm just joking, or she dies. We all are going to die. Your kids are going to move up, move, or grow up and move out, right? Like at the end of the day, when all this is son, done and said with, like when you're on your deathbed, all you have is Jesus, That's it. And that's why Paul can be confrontational. Because he's embraced that truth and he lives in it. I'm not saying that community and the things we have around us, I'm not saying that people aren't there for you. I'm not saying those things. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, when you stand before God, that's all you have. That's it. And that's important for us to recognize. So the church is called to be confrontational. Is not to be violent or deceiving, but confrontational in that it calls people to to the truth of the gospel and repentance. The mission of God is a call to belief and action. Belief and action. When someone calls you to believe in Christ, it is never just simply believe. There needs to be action that follows. If there isn't action that follows, then you actually don't believe. It's that simple. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, notice what happened, right? The Jews, they appointed a day for him because they wanted to hear what he had to say. They came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So here's what happened. He went and said, yo, dude, we, gotta talk. we got to talk. We got some issues. And they said, cool, we're going to figure out a day. We're going to come meet with you. And then what do they do? They go get more of their friends. And they're like, all right, we're going to come and have this converta- com- uh, conversation. And look what it says, from morning till evening he expounded to them. (laughs) From morning to evening, all day long, all day long, here's what he did. He testified to the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. This dude contended for the faith. Not only is his character, not only is Paul a stand-up dude, but his, his, right, his character second to none. But he's standing there. He's like, man, I'm going to stand in truth, and I'm not going to move. Never. And he's like, I will contend all day long. That's crazy. If you do that today, you know what you're called? A Bible thumper. <laughs> like, I'm not lying. You're called a Bible thumper. Right? You like to go around and beat people with the Bible. That's not nice. Right? You have to know your audience. With religious leaders, Paul could absolutely do that. So with Pastor Jeff, I could absolutely do that. No, I'm just joking. Right? (laughs) So you have to know your audience. But he was going to contend to do this all day. And he wasn't going to quit. And he didn't quit. Look what it says, verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, so check this out, what Paul was saying to them got them to disagree with one another. So the argument wasn't even with them versus Paul anymore, it was like just them fighting with themselves. So that's what happened. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So here's what Paul's about to say, and after this there was silence, and that was it. It was over. He said this, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your father's, Through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, I would have them healed. So Paul, what he does is this. He essentially drops the mic and he quotes Isaiah. And the reason this is an important passage is because this is Isaiah chapter 6. This is that really awesome passage where God is saying, whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? And before Isaiah ever knew what the message was, he essentially raises his hand and says, send me, I'll go. And then what we just read is what God tells Isaiah to say to the people of Israel. This is what he tells Isaiah to say to the people of Israel. And the outcome, the outcome for Isaiah and the people of Israel during this time was that Israel actually grew farther and farther away from God. So I want us to understand some stuff. Because a lot of times I think when we come in here, and this is why we talked a lot about uh, categories and stuff, Is because I know when we're talking about this particular passage, I know in your minds, you're probably thinking of somebody who fits into this. Because I know when I read it, I did. I can think of a number of people who fit into, man, like this describes this person perfectly. But I want us to hear this because I think it's important that we understand it. That this is a call of repentance to the church. This is not for unbelievers in any way, shape, or form at all. This is for everybody in this room. This is for everybody meeting on a, in a church today uh, and, and who calls Jesus Savior and King. That's who this, this is for. So it's not, this, this is not for unbelievers. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to a few different groups of people Because I think this is important. But before I do, I want us to get a sense of the pulse of the church in America today. Because when Isaiah was saying this, he was talking to the leaders of Israel. He was talking to the people of Israel. He was doing all of that. But I want us to get a sense of the pulse of the church in America today. Because I don't think we actually have a good view of it. Okay? So there's this thing called the State of Theology by Ligonier Ministries. They sent out a number of statements, and they asked people to agree, to disagree, and they sent these statements to evangelicals, Christians like you and I, and this is from 2018, this year, and so I'll read you, I'll read you four of them, there are many, but this is four, it says this, this is their first statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, 52% of evangelicals agree with that statement. The second one is this. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 51% of evangelicals agree with that statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 78% of evangelicals agree with that statement. Even, all right, and here's, so here's the last one I'll quote. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 69% of evangelicals disagree with that statement. You know what this tells me? If here, So let me say this, and I don't, I don't mean to be rude. If you don't know what is wrong with what I just said, you have not been discipled and you don't know your Bible. Okay? Every single thing I just said is unbiblical. Everything. So this tells me that the church in America, evangelicals in America, they don't know God And they don't know who they are. They don't. Like 500 years ago, if you were to agree with one of these, like you'd get burned at the stake. Like, right? They'd be like, dude, you're a heretic, bro. We got to burn you up. Like, it's crazy. You know? And so, guys, here's why this is important, especially in America. Because we have churches on every corner. And they're filled. And my wife is going OCD on me. Sorry. Um, and they're filled with people. But guys, your job as a Christian, when you go to a church or you're looking for a church home, is to test the spirits. Like, And how else do you do that if you don't know God's word? Like John says this super clear. 1 John 4.1 says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Look what It says, For many false prophets have gone out into the world. How are you to know what is true if you don't know the scripture? You can't. It's impossible. So let me talk to a few different people groups. Because I think this applies to a lot of people. But um, most importantly, when I was just kind of meditating and thinking through this... This is kind of what I just came up with. The first one is this. Uh, the first people group is this. Uh, to those who have been Christians for a really long time. To those who have been Christians for a really long time. Uh, there's typically two types of Christians who have been Christians for a long time. Here I go categorizing everybody. Um, is this. Those, the first group is this. Those who love Jesus deeply. They spend time with him. They recognize that they need to depend on him. Here's what I'd say to you. We need more of you. We need more people who do those things. And you know what else we need from you? We need you to make more disciples. That's what we need. So my question is, are you discipling people? If not, find someone to disciple because we need more of you. The other group in this, in terms of people who have been Christians for a really long time, is the complete opposite. People who have been Christians for 30 years, 10 years, 15 years, you know, 50 years, and they don't know what the Bible says. They don't know what it says. It just, it shocks me. So, here's, here's what I want to say to you, and it's more of a warning, and it's from the passage, okay? One, you're either not a Christian, or two, you've never matured. And let me, let me say this. This is uh, Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11, says this. About this, we have much to say. This is the author of Hebrews talking. And it is hard to explain. And he's talking about some doctrine of the church that they believe, right? And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Paul's talking to people who have been Christians for a long time. Not Paul, the author of Hebrews. For a long time. And he's like, why, why, why are you not getting it? And he goes on. But solid food is for the mature For those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So as you mature, this is exactly what he says. As you mature, you will be able to discern what is good from evil. In other words, when you read a statement, you would know whether or not it's false doctrine or not. You would know these things. The second group of people that I want to talk to is this. It's to the mature Christian mature Christian, says this, uh, here's what I want you to know, and you'll know why in a minute. The American church has a famine of spiritual parents and grandparents. We have a, like, like they're almost non-existent. It's bizarre. So if you're a mature Christian, know this, you should be a spiritual parent or grandparent to someone. You need to get somebody younger than you and disciple them. You have to, or the faith won't go on. Let me, let me say, when I became a Christian in 19 and a half, there was this 45-year-old man named Mark. I showed up at this church. I was young. I was super blunt. I was zealous for the gospel. And this guy, he saw raw Joey, and he's like, this kid is out of control. And you know what he did for me? loved me he told me when I was wrong and the things I needed to repent of he allowed me to lead when he shouldn't have (laughs) like it's crazy I had a spiritual father who cared for me and loved me and if it wasn't for him I can guarantee you I probably wouldn't be here so let me say this if you're a mature Christian please by all means be a spiritual father grandparent to someone we need you. The church will slowly fade away if you do not do this. This is not an option. It is an obligation. That's what it is. This is something we have to do. The other thing I want to say is this. To the, or the third category. To the immature Christian. To the immature Christian. And remember, all this is flowing out of Isaiah 6. Okay, To the immature Christian. Let me say this to you. Go get discipled. Go find someone who wants to love you and care for you. Go get discipled because you need it. You absolutely need it. This is like life and death. That's what this is. You cannot fake it forever. At some point, you will just wander off. Go get discipled. And the fourth one is this, to the leaders of the church. This is me, this is Jeff, this is Stephen, anyone who calls himself a leader here, and anyone who calls himself a leader in any church. And the reason I say this is because in Matthew 13, Jesus quotes the same passage, and he's speaking to the religious leaders of his day. Paul, here in Acts 29, or Acts 28, is speaking to the religious leaders of his day. And he quotes this passage, and this is why I, I bring this up. And let me just say this. To y'all, it is our responsibility as leaders in this church to make sure that you all are getting discipled. If you don't want to be discipled, shame on you. If you don't make time for it, shame on you. Does that make sense? Let me say this also. If we don't make it a priority to disciple you, shame on us. And if we don't make time for it, shame on us. And by all means, if we don't, feel free to sit us down and call us to repentance because we need it. Absolutely. This is life and death. And we have to take this serious. And here's why. These last three verses, this is why we have to take this serious. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul speaking to Jewish leaders The people of God. And look what he just said. The salvation salvation of God is now gone to the Gentiles. Why? Because they're going to listen. Verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I have to end because I'm out of time. But here's here's what I want us to hear this, okay, at the very end. This is what I want us to get. If we do not take serious the warning that Paul quotes here in Isaiah six, the kingdom of God will leave us behind. It does not need me. God does not need me to fulfill his mission. God does not need Pastor Jeff. God does not need Stephen. God does not need any elder in this place. God doesn't need anybody here to fulfill his mission. The only reason we are here is because God wants us to be. If we don't take serious what God is calling us to, into teaching people like their new identity in Christ and that they can live in that, that Christ has died for people and that he has taken on their sin and given away righteousness in a way that is magnificent. And without it, we don't have any hope. If we don't get this, the kingdom of God will go on. It won't wait for us. And it's not going to. God has a mission that he is going to accomplish. And this is a warning for us to get on board. So let me end with this final note and then I'm done because I'm like five minutes over. This. The church is called to fulfill the mission of God. The mission of God is for Christians to love God, love your neighbor, neighbor, and make disciples who make disciples. It's very simple. It's not complicated. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, thank you for today. Thank you for just the gift of your word. God, thank you for warnings. Without them, how would we know that we are doing something wrong? God, would you continue to renew our hearts and our minds? Would we take serious the call that you have given to all Christians to make disciples? God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for him dying on the cross. Without him, none of us would be here. You don't need any of us, but you sent your son to die for us. And that's what blows my mind every time. I just can never fully understand that. So God, would you continue to renew our minds transform our hearts? In Christ's name, amen.